Hebrews chapter 6, please. Pastor Mike texted me at it's either 9 or 10 p.m. saying he was going to do his best to make it. Um, but if things weren't going well, then um, he was going to stick with the, the wife and kids and try to be there for him. And I said, good. <laughs> he needs to be there with them. Um, with that said, I, I've preached this message before. A uh, pastor asked me, hey, can you grab that message and, and preach that one? I said, sure. Um, and considering you all probably don't remember what Pastor Mike preached last Wednesday or last Sunday, you probably won't remember this one either, so... <laughs> I want to preach on sustaining hope. Hebrews chapter 6. I'm going to read just the last four verses, starting in 17. says, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay, ho- lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, Brother Jim, would you mind praying for us? Did you guys sleep well last night? Good full night, night of rest. I was thinking about it when, when Pastor Mike texted me. I wondered how many of us would go to sleep peacefully, comfortable, in our own beds. 
while Pastor Mike and his family are up all night. Pleading with God. I think we need to do more as Christians to to be a more praying people. But the beautiful thing about the Lord is regardless about the tribulation and trials we go through if you know the Lord there is a certain certain kind of hope and peace that that comes along with getting to know him and it is my hope and prayer that the Reagans feel that peace I want to preach about how to sustain that hope that Jesus Christ gives us. I'm talking about a hope that is an anchor of the soul. Look at verse 19 there where it says, Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. And I think most of us know this, but this is not a, a hope like a cross my fingers, I hope tomorrow is going to be a good day. No, this is a a confidence that we have in Jesus Christ. It's a, it's a confidence that what we do for Christ in this life is not done in vain. That Christ is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, as it says, to get us all the way through this life from the moment we get saved off into eternity. This is a hope that can be relied upon. And Paul tells us over in Timothy, hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised from before the world began. It says the same thing here in verse 18. That by two immutable things in which, in which it was impossible for God to lie. And, and if you've been around any length of time, you know we've all got an issue with lying. And I've used this example before, but it's good, and it, it's still true today. Nothing's changed, so I'll use it again. But we walk in these doors, and you know, we all ask each other, Hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm good, thank you. And, you, and after a while, you kind of get to know people well enough to where you know, Nah, nah, you're lying. <laughs> Eventually, you can just kind of see it in people's eyes. I mean, we even have these, <laughs> we even kind of have these pithy Christian sayings, you know, like, oh, better than I deserve, praise God. If, if you're, if you're uh, from down south, you might even hear something like, you know, blessed by the best and highly favored. But the fact of the matter is, is, is even here in church, we kind of have a problem with lying. But God, <laughs> I, you know, I, I can't think of one time 
I can't think of one time where God lied to me. There isn't a whole lot you can trust in in this world. And, and it's really a shame because I, I, w- I would like to be able to. But there, there is one thing we can trust in. And that's the sure words of Almighty God. Here in verse 18 where it says that it's impossible for God to lie. Paul tells us over in Corinthians, If in this life only we have hope in Christ... We are of all men most miserable. Which is interesting because we, you know, a lot of people kind of go throughout their lives and they enjoy the pleasures of this life and they seem to be having a fun time and getting things done and making money and making friends and But the point is, is that it's because it's all about something that goes beyond just this life. Because if, if your life here on earth is, is full of everything you could ever want, but then when you pass away, it's nothing but abyss, nothing but darkness, nothing but hell and despair. Well, then ultimately there was nothing in this life worthwhile. It's because our, our Hope is beyond just this life. And if Christ didn't rise from the dead, if He wasn't resurrected, then we don't have any hope in this life or the one to come. Because I'm looking forward to a day where I'm also going to be resurrected. If Christ didn't come up from that grave, then there there wouldn't be anything to to look forward to. Look, I I love my country. You know, I've... I bleed red, white, and blue, right? But none of our founding fathers, though they might have died to try to secure our liberties, none of them rose from the dead for me. My point being is that my hope is not in the the Constitution or in the, the Bill of Rights. Nothing in this world apart from the power of Christ has ever been resurrected. There's only there's only one hope. One pure hope, and that hope walked around in a body like mine. It was tempted in all points, yet without sin. Do you ever meditate on that? I don't mean home. I mean, I mean, really stop to consider what that actually means. I, I try to put my self in the in the shoes of the Reagans. And if any little bit of you is empathetic, you can begin to start to feel how they might feel. But then to think of our Savior who went through the, the absolute worst that this world could throw at him. To go through literal death and hell. To be tempted in all points. Because the fact of the matter is there's some things in life I just won't be tempted with. 
Not everybody is going to be tempted by the same things, and yet... Man, to, to have a clear image of, of Christ and to really understand that He knows. No, not just knows. It, it goes beyond that. He feels what it is we go through. That's, that's the one who, who died for me, was buried and and rose again the third day, and ever liveth to make intercession for me. That's my hope. And my hope and prayer is that he's the one that we're trusting in this morning. Look at verse 16 and 17 here. It says, For men verily swear by the greater, and for an and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. This is a hope that we have that is based on a confirmation of his counsel, confirmation found in his counsel, in this book. See, God not only said some things to the prophets in the Old Testament, and to those in the, in the beginning of the New Testament and fulfilled those things and, and sealed them up at the cross of Calvary. But he, he, he saw fit to take the time to actually write these things down for us. For a reason. So that we might have hope. You know, when, when you're going through difficult time and, and the world starts to throw stuff at you, starts making accusations, you can hold up this book and say, yeah, but God said. You know, when, when the devil tries to accuse you, you can say, and the only thing you should say, yeah, but, but God said. Amen. You know, when you, when you start to get a drawn away of your own lust and enticed, as Scripture said. You can hold up that book and say, yeah, Kelly, but, but God said. For our hope to be sustained within us, our confidence in the Word of God must remain. And the only reason we have any hope down here under the sun is because we can look into the pages of these, book, the, the, these books here. Look into these words and, and, and read about something that goes beyond just this life. I might wear these pages out. I might even lose this book. Sorry, Derek, I'm going to embarrass you. And I've given this example before. I'm sure a lot of you know. But there was a time Derek had accidentally forgot the Bible on the roof of his vehicle, and he drove away like that. And to make matters worse, it was thunderstorming. Well, thankfully, somebody, I think, down at like Milford Road <laughs> had found the Bible and returned it to the church. And you know what Derek did? Derek said, oh, it doesn't really mean much to me. You know, it's all ruined anyway. I'm just going to get another Bible. Right? That's what he said. No, Derek took the time to dry out every single page. Derek, do you remember how long that took? 
How many fans you had set up? <laughs> Even iron the page. Still tire track side. Do you, do you guys know why Derek did that? It's because those words mean something to him. Sure, you could get a new Bible. But Derek had filled that book with notes. Pen marks everywhere, circles and highlights. The, the thing was filled, sticky notes everywhere. And if he had lost that book, he would have lost a lot of things that the Lord had showed him, that the Lord had talked to him about. These words have to mean something to us if we're going to have any hope in this life. So you could lose the book. I mean, you could, the, the, the earth could shake and the mountains could crumble, as the song goes, but one thing stands firm, and that's these words. These words stand firm. We have a hope not just because of the confirmation of it in this book, but because there's also a great consolation that comes along with it. Look at the second half of verse 18 there, where it says, We might... Might, not will, but we might have a strong consolation. Because the fact of the matter is, it really is up to you whether or not you're going to find consolation in these words. But it is a, a, it's great that there is a place that I can flee to for refuge, as the rest of that verse says. We might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. See, it's only those who flee for refuge in the words of these pages that will find that hope. It is a great consolation to know that the the wicked and evil world that we live in is not all there is. I'm, I'm telling you, if this life is all there is, I don't want anything to do with it. And I decided that years ago. Ten years ago, as most of you have heard before, I was in a really dark point in my life and I didn't want to keep going forward. I didn't want things to continue. Period. I wanted things to end. See, I I didn't have any consolation. I didn't understand the power of this book, the the power of these words, but God had seen fit to send a man my way by the name of Pastor Mike Reagan, who knew a little something about great consolation. And he opened up this book and he just preached these words, just preached what it said, And the Lord brought consolation to my heart. Without the consolation God gives, I would have ended my life on two different occasions. So when I say I wouldn't be here today, I mean it. I would not be here today if it was not for Jesus Christ. But even more specifically, if it wasn't for these words that Jesus Christ gave me. See, last night I, look, life doesn't go the way we 
we often want it to, right? right? Last night I had this lofty idea that I would go to bed at 10 o'clock, maybe 11, if I was feeling rebellious. <laughs> but then Pastor texted me, right? He said, oh, pre- preach that other message that you, you've preached that one time before. And, of course, my, my pride begins to swell up, and it's like, ah, oh, but... I got to do something new. I got to do something fresh. I got to. And part of it is honest conviction. I do believe the Lord wants me to develop new things, but I've got three more sermons coming up, so I've got the chance to do that. And, and Pastor said, do this one. So it's like, all right, I'll do it. But I, I didn't see the night going that way. And, and, you know, lo and behold, I couldn't fall asleep until four something. And the only thing I could think of, as I had mentioned in the very beginning, was, well, perhaps I need to be up in prayer, since my pastor's family was probably up all night in prayer. We all think life should go a certain way, and it doesn't, and it won't. I cannot promise you consolation in anything in this life. I can't promise you consolation, and and you guys know this stuff, but in the the news media, in our politicians, in the economy, and that's only going to get worse. I think it was the, the World Bank had estimated that about 150 million people are going to enter a, a food crisis. They, the way they worded it was a very polite way of saying they're going to starve to death. Banks around the world and in these third world countries are shutting their doors. People cannot withdraw their money. And I would be surprised if it doesn't make its way home. There's no consolation in this life. And, and to be honest, there's not even really consolation in the brethren around us. Although, at many times there is. The Lord uses each other to help each other. But I cannot promise it. I have one consolation, and that's found in Jesus Christ him crucified, buried, and risen thereafter. If you're going to find any consolation outside of Christ, you will develop the perspective that vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Sometimes I, I get to the point where I'm just sick and tired of being sick and tired. Life can weigh on you for so long. You just get wore out. I have begged God to help me with with things time and time again to, at times, have seemingly gotten no response at all. But you know, I'm going to a place someday (laughs) that God promised would be prepared for me. There's coming a day where I will no longer care about the burdens of this life and the, the brilliance of Christ's face will cause every shadow of fear and doubt to, to flee an eternity away. Amen. 
I'm, I'm talking about a hope that we have. Do you understand? There is a power in this book. There is a power in these words. And when we start to lose that hope, it's often because our, our hearts and minds become more distant from these words. Man, when you, when you meditate on that hope that we have, and when you truly meditate on it, it can really get you going, and, and more importantly, keep you going. I'm talking about sustaining hope this morning, and my prayer is that, that God can give you all something that will help do that. To do this, I, I want to go through some more verses in the passage here, and, and we'll try to move quickly. But I want to go to the beginning of this chapter, uh, verse number 1. Now, before we dive into it, I just kind of want to give a little bit of brief context up to this point. So in chapters 1 through 5, God's going through, and, and He's talking about the prophets of old, after all, this is the book of Hebrews, so there's a big emphasis on the prophets of old. Um, God talks about how important those prophets were and, and how important the promises um, that God gave them were to those prophets and to those around them. And, and God goes on to explain how all of those prophets, the whole point of them, it was just one prophet after another culminating in the one final true prophet, our high priest and king, Jesus Christ. God talks about how he, he used angels in the past to deliver messages to his saints and, and how important those messages were. And yet he then draws us to, to the point that how much more of a responsibility do we have to open our ears and hearts to what is said, considering that the words we have come straight from Jesus Christ himself, manifest in the flesh. Words he's given us directly. A lot of people like to think, you know, if I just see a miracle, then I'd believe in God. And, of course, we know that it doesn't work that way. We know that Scripture tells us that if they didn't believe the prophets, neither would they believe the one raised from the dead. And in... I'm just going to read a couple verses here in chapter 2 real quick. 2, verse 1 through 3, it says, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? which at the first began to be spoken uh, by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. Point being is that in times past, they were without excuse and were judged according to the word. We have a responsibility to heed what has been given us in this book. Considering that this message comes straight from the creator of heaven and earth himself. Now, we, we come to the end of chapter 5, and, and a rebuke is given to the people. The long and short of it is, is that the people should have been grown up spiritually past where they were at that time. Verses uh, 12 through 14 in chapter 5, it says, For when the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. 
For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So the goal for the the rest of this sermon here real quick is I want to look at just two ways that the devil is going to attack that hope that we have. Now, I'll, I'll give you the answers to the test right up front, all right? No pop quizzes. Two ways that the devil is going to attack that hope that you have is one, through doctrine, and two, through discouragement. Now, both of these things will be used, but depending on your your spiritual maturity, the Lord or the devil might not be able to get at you doctrinally. And my hope and prayer is that's the case. And I think for, for most everybody here, that probably is the case. But the second thing that the devil uses, he uses on every single person, regardless of how spiritual they are. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. Not laying again, the, and then he, he goes into this, this list of things that he wants us to move on past. Now, it, it's interesting the way that God words this, because I think oftentimes we think of a, a babe in Christ as somebody who is They just got saved, right? They're born again. That's a babe in Christ. But according to this passage, even if you know these doctrines, you're still a babe in Christ. To to move on past being a babe in Christ, you need to have these doctrines down. And I think sometimes we kind of get that that twisted. If you you start to know a little little something, then all of a sudden you're you're now real spiritual and, and mature. But But that's not the case. Verse 1 mentions the word perfection here, and I want to define that real quick. And I I think most of us here know the the proper definition of this and how to apply it. But if you've never studied it from a biblical perspective, perhaps it it could be a little confusing. According to Webster's 1828, and, and I'll use scripture as well, but perfection is to finish or complete as to leave nothing wanting. Interestingly, there's a a verse in chapter 2 here, talking about Christ and perfection. Chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, that says, But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain, talking about Jesus, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. So that's a a biblical example of how perfection has nothing to do with sinlessness, as some people might think. Jesus Christ himself was sinless, and yet he went through this perfecting process. And there was a, a goal that Jesus Christ had in coming here, and that was to live the life that I couldn't, to die on that cross, and to take my sins to hell. It doesn't end there, though. He, he rose again that third day. There was a goal Jesus Christ had, and in order for him to do that, he had to go through the suffering he went through. He had to go through a perfecting process. That goal would not have been accomplished if he didn't suffer. Right. And God has a goal for you in this life. 
That is the, the sanctification of the saint. One of the ways to do that is to move past these doctrines. So I want to look just, just real quick here, and we're going to fly through this. Um, no. To be honest, I don't... I don't know if the Lord wants me to. We're going to skip that. Um, and we'll probably get out of here early because of that. <laughs> I honestly think most people are here at a point where you understand the doctrines that, that he talks about in verses 1 and 2, where it mentions not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. In chapter 6, sorry. Chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Of the doctrine of baptisms, and of laying on of hands, and of the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this will we do, if God permit. So uh, my hope and prayer is that we know these things and that we'll move past them. But if, if you don't know them, if you're confused about them, just stick around. Pastor Mike hits on these things a lot. And just sticking in church, you... you you begin to learn that doctrine a little bit, slowly and surely. And, uh, and Pastor Mike was, was uh, extremely gracious with me over the years. Amen. Um, at, at times more patient with me than I think I was with myself. But but let's look at let's look at the thing I think the devil will use on everybody and and that's discouragement. If the devil can't use doctrine then he will use his greatest weapon and and that is discouragement. Look at verse 12. It says that ye be not slothful but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now you say, well, wait a minute. I don't get it. <laughs> Where's the discouragement? Well, can I say this? You don't really need much faith and patience, as the verse says, when you're on the, the mountaintop. When things are going well, you don't really need much faith and patience. You look at the, the lives of the saints of old, which God tells us to follow after, and you see the victorious mountaintop experiences, and 
The nice thing is, is that God is also kind enough and, and gracious enough to show us the, the valleys that they went through, the, the times of despair and discouragement that the great men and women of old triumphed through. The devil couldn't get at Moses with doctrine, so he used discouragement. The devil couldn't get at David with doctrine, but sure enough used discouragement. The devil couldn't get at Elijah with doctrine, but he definitely used discouragement. I don't think the devil can get at us anymore with doctrine, but I know for a fact He uses discouragement. The devil has used discouragement on me multiple times, on multiple occasions. And I hope, I hope and I pray that when all of this is over, I I beg God. You understand that? When all of this is over, he will be able to mark my name down next to the saints of old. Mark my name down next to those who patiently endured. Look at verse 15. It says, and so after he had patiently endured, Endured, he obtained the promise. So this brings us full circle here back to the the hope that we have in Christ. The promises God has given us. What's the the point of God giving us these promises in this book to to read about if, if it isn't supposed to affect our life in any way in the here and now? The promises of God don't just start at salvation and then skip over this life and continue on into eternity. They're for the here and now because God knows that in this life, we need our hope sustained. God is the only one who is really able to console our hearts and He does this through the promises He's given us. Look at one of the promises God has given us in verse 10. It says, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. God often uses his people to minister to each other. And yeah, we've all got our list of faults and, and failures. And, and the more you can, you know, the more you get to know somebody, that familiarity can breed contempt. But man, that there's I've never had anybody minister to me more than brothers and sisters in Christ. We need each other, and God tells us that right, right here, He sees your work and labor of love. You say, well, sometimes I just, I just don't quite know what to say to people, right? You don't really need to know what to say to people. You know, the, the times that the, the Lord has ministered to me most when I was brokenhearted and, and on my knees in prayer was, was not when people came up to me and started quoting Scripture. No, it was, it was when somebody knelt down next to me 
put their arm around me and didn't say a word. Jesus Christ himself has, has done this countless of times when I'm alone in my prayer closet, on my knees in tears, and, and all Christ sometimes does is just kneels down next to you and, and puts his loving arms around you. And it's moments like that where God's presence is strongest and it ministers to the soul. God tells us in verse 10 that He sees you and He he sees your labor of love. And I'd like to end this with a thought. I was thinking about the and I've been doing this more and more lately. But I was thinking about the judgment seat of Christ. And don't get me wrong, that will be a terrifying day. To stand before a perfect Sinless, holy, righteous, just God. To have my actions done in my body judged in front of all. But but God is so gracious. He's so merciful. He's, He's so loving that when, when we get there to be judged for our actions, for, for everything that we've ever done, all the good things and the bad things, only the good things that we've done for Him will remain. It would be one thing to, to get to heaven and to have my, my small little pile of gold, silver, and, and precious stones the things that I've done for Christ in this life. It'd be one thing to get there to have that, but then to also have this, this mountain of wood, hay, and stubble. It'd be something to, to, to live like that for an eternity with, with a constant reminder of everything wicked I've ever done, every sin I've ever committed, every time I've thought anything evil or or done anything wrong. I I don't know how, how, and we'd be in heaven, so I know we would be happy. I I know everything would be fine, but I don't, I can't conceptualize how I could stand before a a holy and almighty God with a, a constant reminder of everything wicked I've ever done. But you know, that, that's not the way it's going to play out. See, when we get to that judgment seat of Jesus Christ, God is going to put a fire to those works. And that's, that small little pile of gold, silver, and precious stones, the, the things we've done for Christ are the only things that are going to remain. 
I cannot wrap my head around how merciful and gracious God is. And if you take the time to get on your knees in prayer and focus and meditate on the things that go beyond just this life, well, suffice it to say, you'll have your hope sustained. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, I just uh, I just thank you for, for who you are and, and for the goodness and, and grace and mercy that you show us. And, and although uh, preaching under these circumstances is not how I would have chosen it, I know, Lord, that you know what you're doing. And I just pray that somebody got something and I suppose even that it is not the right way to pray. I suppose I, I must have the perspective that I, I need to get up here and preach regardless of the outcome. But I do hope, Lord, that your, your name was honored and glorified. I pray that you'll be with Pastor Mike and his family. It is tough to go, thing, go through things that are uh, unknown. And so I just pray that you'll give them clarity and help the doctors direct their hands, Lord. Be with them and comfort them. And I just pray, Lord, that with everybody here, I don't, I don't know what everybody else is, is going through, and so I can only speak to what Pastor Mike and his family is going through, but I... I know we live in a sinful world, so I know others must be going through difficult things, and I pray that you'll, that you'll help sustain that hope. And of course, Lord, we'll, we'll do our absolute best to, to give you the honor and glory in everything that we do. I pray for safe travels home, and uh, just pray that you'll... Uh, to be with be with all of us please lord amen